Nolan Foot slides it across left for Yermak and Hello and welcome to the Elite Prospects Podcast with J.D. Burke and Craig Button. I am, of course, J.D. Burke, the Editor-in-Chief of Elite Prospects and Rinkside, where we cover the NHL draft and prospects. And Craig Button, of course, is the Director of Scouting of TSN, one of the luckiest men alive right now because he's getting to watch live hockey in person. And not just live hockey, he's getting to see the Canadian All-Star team that is the World Juniors Camp in Red Deer. Craig, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. And, uh, you know, just quickly, uh, you know, at the beginning of the camp, you know, it was very interesting to uh, be there. But what was really uh, neat to see, and and I use the word neat uh, purposefully, the kids were so excited. They were so excited to be on the ice. They were, it was like that boundless enthusiasm. They couldn't believe that here they are in this environment playing hockey again. And obviously a lot of those players know one another. A lot of them have played with one another. So, you know, it was, it, it was really, really uh, an environment that uh, had lots and lots of enthusiasm and excitement from the players and, and from the coaches. And, and I'm sure from you as well, because I'm telling you, Craig, like I've never been more excited to go to Edmonton in the middle of winter in my life. I finally filed for credentials at the, the World Juniors and uh, it's, it's, I'm, I'm giddy. I cannot wait to see some live hockey again. Uh, you've got to see two games now in Red Deer, the, the red-white scrimmages. There was going to be a third game and we'll talk about everything that happened that kind of took that from us, took that from Team Canada, whether it'll be rescheduled, all that stuff. But uh, you know what, as somebody who was right there in the arena watching these kids play, who really stuck out to you through the first two scrimmages? I mean, there's the obvious answers like Kirby Doc. I mean, uh, in most years, he wouldn't even be here right now, but he is and he's putting up tons of points. Uh, who's somebody for you, Craig? Well, you know, let me go back to, to the first practice. You know, I, I was curious to see if they were going to kind of dip a toe into the water uh, competitively and just kind of ease into it. But uh, right from the very first drill they did, you know, you didn't have to tell the players to compete. They got a, they got a deep well of competitiveness in them. And, and it started off right away with a back pressure drill. And it was highly competitive right from the, right from the very first drill of the very first day. So, you know, they go through it, the two-a-days. You know, Andre Jordan was uh, really, really uh, strong in his instructions in, in, in terms of explaining what was happening, understanding that the players were coming from different stages of play and uh, competitive practice. And, you know, the players were asking questions. So, and then when the game started uh, on Saturday and Sunday, I'll be straightforward with you. I had a little tingle uh, before the first game because, you know, it was neat. The players were out there. They jumped out there for the warm up, and, and they were excited about playing. So, you know, uh, it, it was interesting though, JD, because in game one, Kirby Doc just—he was a player. He—he—he—he—we know he's got to place a shirt on the team, but he was just a player out there. He didn't really do anything. Now, game two, he was a dominant player. And one of the things that I feel is that uh, the returning players, Kirby Doc—I'm going to put them in that in that group. You know, they don't have to compete for a spot on the team. What they want to do is, is build their game so that they can take a prominent role on the team and, 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 and help Canada move forward uh, to competing for a gold medal. And, and that's exactly what Kirby Doc showed on Sunday. And that's exactly what Bo and Byram showed on Sunday. And, and that's, what I'm, that's what I was looking for those guys. I'm, I'm not looking for them to try to you know, do things to uh, impress me. They're, they're already impressive players. You, you know, they got to build their game. Now, you look at others, I'll get to the goaltending in a minute, but I really believe, J.D., that, that this blue line is pretty much set. Uh, you know, if there wasn't an eighth defenseman spot added, like, in, you know, two extra skaters are going to be allowed by the IIHF, Hockey Canada has indicated they're going to take one extra forward and one extra defenseman. I think the first seven defensemen are, are, are already... No, and that's Byram and Drysdale, Harley and Schneider, Robertson and Korzak and Caden Gooley. 
So every other defenseman there has to has got to be competing for that last spot, and they got to show Andre Tourney, you know, what, what you're capable of doing and how you can contribute. And they might not even be in the lineup. Uh, you know, they might get in there because of an injury or because of a subpar performance. I, I don't expect the latter to happen. But in that group, you have Justin Barron, Ryan O'Rourke, Damon Hunt, that I think have really clearly established themselves as the players fighting for that last spot. The other players, the other defensemen there, I, I think in time, they're uh, in the case of a Lucas Cormier, he'll have a chance to be on the team next year. I don't think he's ready. Jordan Spence needed to come in and show that he could be a specialist, a really good offensive specialist. Uh, you know, I at this point in time, based on what I saw, you know, it's not about, oh, he was okay. Oh, yeah, he was as good. You got to be better. You got to establish your spot. I, I didn't think he did that. So, you know, when you start to look at the, at the blue line, I, I, I think that's a strength of uh, Hockey Canada and, and, and this group. Up front, I, I was really impressed with Connor Zary, uh, uh, Jacob Pelletier, and Peyton Krebs uh, for these reasons. You're looking to try to understand what players can play in multiple roles and in different positions. Andre Tournay, uh, is really focused in on ensuring that he has 12 of the best forwards there. He's, he, and so he's going to put players in different positions to see how they can play. He had Peyton Krebs and Jacob Pelche playing on right wing. They're not right wingers. Pelche is a left winger and Krebs is a center. He had Connor Zari play center on Saturday. Then he played left wing with Doc and Tomasino on Sunday. So, I thought those three players were really, really good in showing, hey, you can put us in different spots. We are going to, we are going to demonstrate that no matter where you play us, we're going to find a way to contribute. You know, Zari, Doc, and Tomasino were were lights out brilliant in the Sunday, in the Sunday scrimmage. And you know, that's the, the you're looking to put players together and you're looking to get that type of performance and that type of output. They clearly got it. And, and, and then now for the younger players, and when I say younger, but Tyson Forster got hurt. Cole Schwink got hurt on Saturday. They didn't participate on Sunday, but, but the younger players, Seth Jarvis, uh, uh, I mentioned Tyson Forster, Cole Perfetti. You know, they got to show that they, that they can contribute to this team. And it's not that they're not talented. It's not that they don't have potential. The question that that surrounds them is, are they ready at this point in time to be consistent, reliable contributors to a team for 10 days that is going to go for the gold medal? And that is now where... You know, if the, the the camp becomes shortened, the evaluation period becomes shortened, it, it may hurt players like that because, you know, whether they're ready or not, Hockey Canada may not have the luxury of being able to, to give them that opportunity to show what they got. So, you know, uh, you know, watching them, I, I thought Maverick Bork was fine. I thought that Perfetti was fine. You know, Forster showed some things. But, you know, really, I, I, I think that, you know, there's going to be good players with good potential that are going to be next year's players. And they're just, they're just, it's not that they're not good. They're just not ready to play in this year's tournament. And, you know, with the, with the, with, with what's happened with the two positive COVID tests uh, on the player side and, you know, the pause, the stop in the camp, you know, some players may not have an opportunity to, sh to show what they have going forward. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that because there was a scrimmage scheduled for uh, Tuesday morning, I believe, at 9, 9 a.m. Pacific, sometime Tuesday yeah. morning. Yeah, and you're it right. was 9 a.m. 9 a.m., right. All right, I got that one down. Uh, and it was revealed shortly before uh, what would have been puck drop that there were two positive tests within Team Canada itself. We know, of course, about the two tests before that uh, to, I believe, the goaltending coach and one of the assistants, if memory serves, uh, no, let me Jason. correct that. It was a it was a staff member that tested staff positive, member. and then uh, uh, people that were in close contact uh, and through the contact tracing had to go into isolation. So Michael right. did one of the assistant coaches, Jason LaBarbera, and others uh, hadn't tested positive, but they had been in contact, so they had to go into isolation. 
Right, right. Okay. Thank you for correcting me on that yeah. because I couldn't remember if they were uh, positive themselves or just just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. And as it turns out, it is the latter of those two options. And of course, we haven't heard anything to date yet about what they're going to do with the status of that third red-white scrimmage uh, game. And And of course, everything is happening in real time. There are so many developments on the fly, and I don't think anybody expects an answer immediately. Uh, so, so I don't think there's any pressure on Team Canada from that respect. But as somebody who is there, who is is a boots on the ground presence covering this this scrimmage, this camp, uh, what's the sort of mood right now among everybody with Team Canada? Uh, is there any concern long term about the possibility of of being able to put on this tournament? Because I, I'm certainly not in a place where I'm concerned yet about the status of the World Juniors. But when you see something like this occur. And then you go onto social media and you see the reaction. Everybody's going, oh, the bubble's popped. This isn't going well. Uh, I'm not there yet, of course. But what's the sense that you're getting as somebody who is around the people who are at the levers of power? Uh, first of all, they were never in a bubble. They were in a, they were in a cohort and, you know, managing it. They were, they were going to do some testing uh, that, that was required for them to do this. But if I can take you back in time, I'll take you back to phase two of the NHL return to play. And if we recall during that phase two, you know, as players returned to their training facilities, uh, there was some positive tests with players. There was some facilities that got closed for a period of time because of the positive tests and because of the protocols that had been established and needed to be adhered to. This is phase two for Hockey Canada in the, in the, in the preparation for the World Junior Tournament. Uh, you know, Alberta Health Services said in this type of an environment, uh, it's not unexpected to see what happened occur. And, and, and so, you know, understanding that the long runway that Hockey Canada is using, it's not just to evaluate players. It's also to start moving forward, you know, with your group. And then as, as the NHL and the return to play moved into phase three, that, bu- the, 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 that bubble became tighter. The testing became, you know, more regular. So ultimately what you were trying to do was get into phase four to keep the virus out. Because if the virus gets into the bubble when they go to Edmonton, it's going to spread. And now you have, you, you, now, now you're going to have real concerns about the ability to carry on the tournament. But like the NHL, phase two, phase three, phase four, it was flawless. And, and the IIHF, Hockey Canada, and the Edmonton Oilers who are putting on the tournament uh, or supporting the tournament, they are uh, following exactly what the NHL did. So I would say at this point in time that there's, no, re- there's no reason to ha- to have to sound alarm bells about the World Junior Tournament. I I, I think that what they're doing and how they continue to try to uh, you know go through the protocols, the health and safety of the players and the staff is first and foremost. And you know you're going to keep moving. When I go back to the evaluation part of the things, you know. What may very well have to happen here, depending on what the uh, period of time is from the stop on Tuesday, they didn't get a chance to get on the ice at all uh, on Tuesday and you go into Wednesday without any ice time, depending on how long, they may have to select their team. They may have to just say, hey, listen, this is our 25 players and we're going to bubble up right here, right now. That's what they, that's what they may have to do. And, you know, when, when you think about uh, the opportunity for players to show what they can do, they may lose that. Hockey Canada has got a deep, deep database of information on these players and uh, from, from players that have participated in the program of excellence in different tournaments, and they've continued to watch these players. So Hockey Canada is going to be able to select a team that's going to be uh, more than capable of competing for the gold medal. It's still going to be a very strong team. It just prevents maybe uh, a player or two or three that uh, maybe could have shown that they could have been on the team and they might not get that opportunity. And that's, that's just where we sit. But, you know, I think that all in all, Alberta health said, don't be surprised about what's occurred. This is uh, not unexpected. Hockey Canada now tries to continue to move forward, much like the NHL teams did in phase two, despite having positive tests for players and having to close facilities. The whole idea was, was the end game. 
And the end game right now for Hockey Canada and the other countries is to get into Edmonton on December the 13th and get through those four days where everybody is negative. And now you can start to have a, like a, a real optimism and positive outlook for the tournament. Yeah, those are some really good points. And then another one too to, to take into account is that I mean, what we know about the virus as well is that it's much more easier to transmit during the winter than it would be in the summer. So holding this tournament uh, to precisely the exact same standards as the NHL in terms of uh, we, we need to, to see zeros across the board all the way. I mean, of course, that is ideal, but I think it's much harder to achieve in this environment than it would have been uh, for the league itself. But speaking of the league itself, we've got one of the, the better talent evaluators uh, just waiting to join us. And that, of course, would be Darren York of the Carolina Hurricanes. He's their director of amateur scouting. We're going to talk about their draft. We're going to talk about the hire today of Yoki Nevalainen uh, to their amateur scouting team and and a whole bunch of other stuff, Craig. I'm really excited about this. So why don't we go ahead and, and welcome to the chat. Okay. And now joining the Elite Prospects podcast is none other than Darren York himself. He is the Director of Amateur Scouting in the Carolina Hurricanes organization, a team that just put together one of the better drafts in 2020, if you ask me. They left with, I think, what was it, about seven or eight new players, including among them Seth Jarvis, Noel Gundler, Vasily Ponomaryov. And then they went ahead and added to their organization in a new way today by announcing the hiring of Yoki Nevalainen, a former scout for Dauber Prospects, now going to be scouting Finland for the Carolina Hurricanes himself. So no shortage of, of news on the Carolina Hurricanes front. And joining us to talk about all of it is Darren York. Darren, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no worries. We're we're really happy to have you. And I think one of the first questions that we'll just get right out of the way is is you've made an addition to your scouting department. Uh, you've gone to the public ranks to to call on Yoki Nevalainen. Uh, can you maybe take us through this? Maybe talk about the the experience bringing him on board with your team. Uh, it's a characteristically progressive move on the part of the Hurricanes. Uh, it certainly appears that way on the face. And I'm really curious to get your insights on that one. So maybe walk us through that a bit. Yeah, um, we we had an opening in our, our European staff with uh, with Robert getting a you know a promotion here to to take on the the reins in in Seattle. Um, so with that whole, we look to to fill it. I, I think in in any business hiring, you're trying to to make your current staff better, and we were doing that with with Yoke. I, I think um, I know you were you used the word or term progressive. I I, I think. Um, being uh, sort of a scout in the public sphere and being able to to have years of reports and being able to understand Yoke's take um, in, in Finland allowed us to to get a sense of who he is and then through the interview process get to get to know him better and for him to sort of determine if if the fit was well for for him as well for us. So we're thrilled to add. Um, another talent to to our staff and they can't wait to to get started with them yeah i think darren one of the things that really uh, you know caught my ear just now was he has lots of experience and you know you can he, he can draw on that experience and you can evaluate that experience and i think that that is one of the really nice things about people that are willing to uh make their opinions public and are, and are willing to make uh you know their assessments public because you know there, there's always going to be a certain amount of pushback or disagreement or whatnot and you learn from that but you also, in, in your role, trying to put together a staff and evaluate people, it's also got to be tremendously helpful to you to have that body of work to look at. For sure. And there's there's many ways to to gain experience, whether it's, it's working um, for a website, whether it's working for a junior team, whether it's working for an NHL team. The... The ability to manage time for anyone that has a full-time job and then be able to watch as many games as as Yoke has is is incredible. And again, that those skills transfer over to to for him working with us. So again, I, I think we're we're excited that we were able to make this hire and looking forward to to working with him. 
well, we should have known that if you were going to have an out, an opening in your scouting department, it was going to go to a Finn because I look at your last draft, no shortage of Finnish players in there. You got Puistola, you got Honka, you got Tiaxola. We should have known this was coming. But this year, you start off by taking a player that we actually interviewed uh, on the Elite Prospects podcast, and that would be Seth Jarvis, uh, somebody who Craig is now getting to see live and in person in Red Deer. Uh, can you maybe take us through the decision to draft Seth Jarvis? Were you surprised that he was available to you? And 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 what do you think he's going to bring to your organization for the next few years that follow? Yeah, um, I, I guess we we can always sit back and say we're we're a little surprised. I think Seth could have gone um, higher, and we're we're glad that that didn't uh, <laughs> end up happening because we're we're thrilled with his with his ability and, and for the the type of player that he is. Uh, this guy can just drive the play. Uh, I think you have with him, you have hockey sense, you have the ability to process space, you have speed, you have compete. Um, he, he really is a complete player. Uh, and the one knock that people may say is that he isn't as tall as somebody else, but for the ability, um, with him to be able to put players on his back and be able to gain separation whether it's through reading hip movement, whether it's through tight turns and in creating space and separation through his agility, he has that. Um, he, when he gets around the net, he can score, he can make others better. Uh, he, he's really a complete player and we're, we're thrilled that he, he was, uh, we were able to sort of select him and can't wait to continue to watch him at the, the world junior camp. You know, just going back a little bit in time, you know, you know, Seth has always had those abilities to, you know, an opponent may think they have him in wrapped up or in check. And, you know, he, he, he makes you think that, and then, and then he takes advantage of you, but, but do you see some similarities? Uh, and, and certainly, I mean, Sebastian Ajo is a terrific, terrific player, you know, one of the, one of the top player in the NHL. Do you see some, but Sebastian wasn't the biggest player in his draft year, and, but, but the thinking and the ability is, as I like to call it, to beat up opponents with your mind. Did you see some of that with Seth? Yeah, I think it, it, the similarities from a hockey sense perspective are there. I, I think, as you alluded to it, the ability to escape and, and use your mind um, for players who may not be as as big as their opposition to be able to set them up along the boards to get them to move into an area where you know they're going to be and then it's easy enough for them to, to spin off that check um, comes from your ability to, to think the game. And, and with Seth, he, he has that elite hockey sense. Another player who's got some pretty good hockey sense himself would be Noel Gundler, who you took in the, the second round. Might have dropped a little bit further than, than some anticipated going into the process, but uh, that's, that's all to your benefit at this point, right? And uh, he's had a bit of an interesting start to the season, had about three points in 10 games with Lulea, ends up uh, joining Brinas afterwards. Uh, can you maybe take our audience through what's happening with, with Noel Gundler, the decision to move from Lulea to Brinas? And and what sort of enticed Carolina about drafting this player in the second round? Yeah, I, I think um, if it's he may have slipped, it, it's challenging for these players when they're they're playing in Europe and they're playing against men, and they may not be getting the same same minutes that you know a CHLer may may get. So your your sample size on him is is going to be limited. So going back through his underage year this was a player that was scoring at will at the in the sweden junior leagues to the same likes as as holtz um when he got those opportunities during his draft year with the men he was able to to produce despite the the lower minutes now with with him moving on to a, to his new team it allows him to be more in a more of an offensive role and to get the minutes and to get the reps so we're it's a better situation for him to continue to grow and to sort of fine tune uh, to his game. And and how do you as an organization approach a player like Gundler when, you know, he, he was a fascinating prospect for his draft year and, and maybe you can push back against this notion, but it seemed like everywhere he went in terms of rankings, in terms of the public discourse, uh, there, there was a little bit of a, I don't know, a reticence on the part of the public. You'd hear rumors about, uh, doesn't fit in with the locker room here, character issues there. 
you know, our, our Swedish scout, Christopher Hedlund, he, he looked into it himself before one of our final meetings and he said he couldn't find anything. Uh, and I'm sure that you guys do your same due diligence as well. So what was that process like for you? Because I'm sure you heard some of these whispers as well uh, as it related to Gunler going into the process. I think it's those situations, even outside of Gunler, it's almost unfair to the athlete at times. Um, I got asked this question after the draft and I, and I used the example um, in, in the NBA because the Miami Heat were, were going on and there, there are times when players get perceived in, in certain situations that they're a bad, they're a bad seed and they're, they're a bad teammate and they get put into a new situation and then all of a sudden they're, they're a great leader. We, we went through our due diligence since or due diligence with, with Noel. We have, um, Jesper Selgren who has, has played with them. Um, and we got great feedback. It's, it's tough sometimes when a player gets a, a label and sometimes it's almost near impossible to, to erase that label in the, in the public sphere. Um, but again, he's a, he's a great kid. He's already, in constant feedback with our development coaches and, and, and learning and, and eager to, to continue to grow as a player. So again, if, if the notion that he was a, a bad teammate allowed us to, to take advantage of it, then, then great. Yeah. There's always going to be opportunities to take advantage right there. And if you're, if you're prepared and confident, you can, you can find some real diamonds in the rough. Now speaking, you, you, you've gone, we, we talked a little bit about your hiring of Yoki. I, I told him it's real simple in, in, a, in a Twitter note that uh, you just got to find the next Sebastian Ajo. If you do that, everything will be good. If you don't, well, shame on you. But anyway, uh, you, you know, you, you've had some departures from your scouting staff you know, you have a lot of experience now working with different scouts, you know, developing a process and everything. So as you go through this now, trying to identify potential candidates, interview potential candidates, and ultimately you're going to fill some of those spots, you know, how exciting and exhilarating has that been for you to spend time, you know, talking to people, getting feedback, considering different things uh, as you try to, you know, re- I, I guess rebuild, I'll use that word, the, the scouting department after some of the departures uh, to Seattle. Yeah, it's, it's, What's the, I don't know what the best word is to describe it. It is, it is exciting. Obviously, um, it's a great opportunity. I think that's probably the, the best word to, to use because when you're talking to other individuals who've been in similar situations, whether they're in hockey, whether they're in other sports, or whether they're just in, in business, to learn from, from them and to, to create a process and then be able to sort of step back and evaluate and ensure that it's it's the correct way. And if it's not the correct way, being able to adjust, I think the, the biggest thing that I've learned here is to throw out the bias towards any sort of label on a person. If to say that they can't necessarily scout because they didn't play in the NHL where we're just trying to find the the best candidates. So I think the more you, I've been able to to learn from other individuals and the more I've learned from doing an interview process, I think the better our organization and our department's going to be. And I, I think another example as well, we're talking about the way that you're mining uh, different talent for scouting ranks and, and all that sorts of stuff. I, I look at your draft and I go, Zion Nubik in the fourth round, Alexander Passion in the seventh round, uh, to go with two very highly skilled players in Seth Jarvis and Noel Gundler. Uh, at the beginning of the draft, even Ponomaryov's got a ton of skill to his game as well. Uh, you know, we had a really interesting conversation once, Darren, about a lot of people would look at that perspective of your draft and go, well, Nubik and, and Passion, those are two very similar players. And why would you get two of those? And, and I thought that you had a really interesting response to that. And, and I was wondering if you could maybe share that with our audience too, the kind of the philosophy uh, of your team when you were staring down these two very highly coveted, highly talented players who might not fit the, the mold uh, of a traditional late round pick, you know, that defensive burly uh, bigger player. Can you maybe take our audience through that? Yeah, I, I think it's it's so hard to identify players that that you think are going to be able to take the next step. It, I think if you look at the odds of players making it, it's it's small. So we when we're going through our, our process here, we probably we shouldn't add another variable to make it challenging to 
project what our needs may be, you know, three to five years from now. And for, for us, we're just trying to draft the player that we feel has the, the best chance to have the highest impact in the NHL. And when Zion was, when it was our turn to, to draft and Zion was on the, the board, we selected him and we're thrilled to, to have him. It's really the same process um, and philosophy from our first round pick to our, to our seventh round pick. Have you, uh, were, did you get an opportunity to watch uh, any of the scrimmages at the uh, Hockey Canada camp, Darren? Yeah, I watched um, all of the last one and then uh, my internet was going in and out on the, the second and first one. So I guess I got two full ones sort of in. Well, I can, I, I can only tell you this, your second round pick in uh, 2019, Jamison Reese just continues to, to impress. And so what I would, you know, we talk about, you know, the Ryan Suzuki's, the Patrick Pustelas, the Seth Jarvis, Sebastian, like how smart they are. You know, Jamison Reese is a smart player, but he's a different style of player. You know, what have you seen in his development and what excites you about his potential down the road? Yeah, it's, um, I agree. I think Jamison is, is obviously a different player than, um, than the other ones that you, you named it. And it's kind of unfortunate, bad luck, however you want to splice it, is that he hasn't played a lot of games over the last two years because uh-huh. of injuries and, and because of suspension. So if you want to add up those games, like he's almost a, a year and a half, or sorry, a half a year, um, a little bit down there, sorry, behind on the, the bell curve from his development. In saying all that, when he plays, he has such a impact on the game because of all the the layers, whether it's getting underneath the the skin of the opponents, whether it's going around them with skill or whether it's going around them and and then making a play. He he knows how to to get to the net. He knows how to score and he knows how to really just make plays and have an impact. And I think it's a combination of his hockey sense as well as his competitive nature. And, and, you know, you said some of that's luck and I think that the injury component might, might fall into that, but there's also been the suspensions as well with, with Jamison Reese. And I think that it's always tough when you've got a young player who plays that style of game, trying to get them to calibrate uh, their physicality, their, their nastiness, their just uh, plain old pugnacity, uh, you know, with, with how they can stay right on that line where they're not hurting their team or themselves. And, and have you guys kind of had to have that conversation with Reese or on the other end, is there a bit of hesitance on your part because you don't want to take that bite out of his game and you just accept the risks that might come with it uh, as a player who does play sometimes over that line? Yeah, I, I, I think with, with players like Jameson and we, we've seen in the NHL, some players have to, have to adapt and it's no different than a skilled player having to adapt when he goes into the NHL and learning things and, and what sort of works. So there's, I guess there's no fear on our part or on our view that Jameson isn't going to be able to, to know where the line is and know where, what he can do and what he can't do. He, he's a smart kid. Um, he, he knows that he has to sort of play on, on that line to have success. And I think as, as he gets more experience, as he gets more games, um, he, he's going to learn to, to stay right, right below it and still be able to have a strong impact. And that's what we're excited to, to watch him grow. I wanted to ask you about another one of your, your finished prospects as well, because I was just looking at the, uh, the draft page on Elite Prospects here, and I'm going, oh yeah, Tuka Tiaxola. I was a huge fan of his going into the draft. He put up tons of points. And I remember thinking last year when I saw him just dominating the, the U20 circuit in Finland, oh, this, this guy needs to get into the, the Finnish Liga. Like he is so far above the rest of the competition, and I think his numbers reflect that. Now you have a situation again where this year you've got all these NHLers who are uh, migrating over to Finland um, to to kind of find playing time that might not otherwise be available in North America. And the side effect is you've still got a player like Tuka Tiaxola in the U20 level where I think he's well over a point per game. Uh, what is... What is the Carolina Hurricane as a as an organization? What do you guys think about that? Is there anything you can do to kind of uh, find more opportunities or a better challenge for him? Uh, is there any concern about the, the the fact that he hasn't had the opportunity to play against men yet? What What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah. So, um, he, he's coming back from, from an injury. So it's been a little slow, um, to get him uh, up to speed at the, at the legal level. Um, we're, we're very fortunate that we have a great relationship with, with their GM. Um, Harry Ajo, obviously is, he is the father of Sebastian. So we, we know that organization very well. We know him, we have a great relationship to get some honest feedback. Um, he took is uh, an extremely skilled player that plays with a lot of pace. Uh, it can really make others miss. We're, we're excited about him. Uh, I think he's probably a player that probably doesn't get the recognition that he deserves probably because he was playing at the, at the U 20 level. Um, and if it's again, not for some unfortunate luck that he had surgery, that he probably would be slated to, to take on a bigger role with the, with the senior team. So once he's up to speed, we're, we're confident that he's going to get some, some time up with the men and be able to, to work on playing against stronger players. And again, you, being able to use his hockey sense in a similar fashion that we've talked about with, with Jarvis and being able to use his body to protect, uh, protect the puck against bigger, stronger players. At, at the outset, Darren, you talked uh, a little bit about uh, your development uh, program for some, for some of your young players and your players playing outside the NHL. You know, what have been some of the challenges and what are some of the, some of the things you've, you've tried to emphasize with the young players, you know, during this period of uncertainty? Yeah, I think um, with, with some of these guys now, the, their, at least their leagues are, are up and running. We had conference calls, um, I guess, going back from, from March with our development staff and ensuring with the, with the athletes, whatever we could do to help them, we would, whether it's taking on Zoom calls to go over video with them, um, to sending the home workout programs that they could do at home if if their town wasn't open to to have gyms again we got to ensure that all of our athletes are being are being safe so if they have to work at a home we'll find ways to to help them and with our players that are are in season now it's it's really the same process had there not been um a, a pandemic in terms of getting them reps and working with them and sending them video clips and going over all this to, to show them the things that they're strong at to continue to reinforce what, what we feel and what we love about them as a player at the same time, trying to, to work on some of the improvements as well. And, and what are some of the challenges that you face this year as a scouting department yourself? I mean, uh, this is a good question about, about the players and how you stay on top of their development this year. How do you stay on top of the 2021 draft? And, and of course, all the other prospects as well, because you never know, your team might be trying to acquire one at the deadline, something to that effect. Uh, I, th I think the decision to hire Yoki kind of speaks to, again, uh, a very progressive approach here. And, and I'm wondering, what is your stance on the integration of video scouting? And, and how are you kind of bringing that into the fold as you approach a year where uh, live viewing opportunities just aren't going to be there to the same degree that they were in years prior? Yeah, like um, obviously, or, or I guess this maybe it's not obvious, but we we we've utilized video for for years now. I was hired, I guess, twelve, thirteen years ago um, to start up video scouting with the Hurricanes. So obviously, I have a a lot of experience of how to integrate the the software and everything to to the department. Now, the technology has changed uh, exponentially over, over the last decade. And it makes it very easy and, and seamless to incorporate it into your process. Um, with, to manage the live viewings, it's going to be interesting to see how everything folds out, uh, with, with different leagues starting, um, at, at different times, you may end up having as many, if not, well, maybe it's not going to be more, but you're, you may have just as many live viewings on some of these players as you would uh, previously because of the different start times. So I don't know yet. Um, we'll, we'll have to see what the final numbers work out and how to, to manage time, but it may not be that much off um, for some of these athletes in a normal year. Again, we'll, we'll see how everything shapes out, but because of the different start times, it allows you to sort of be a little bit creative with your scouts and be a little bit creative on how to get more viewings um, as a total staff than, than if everything were normal and you would have every league going at once. 
Well, that's that's certainly an interesting approach, and I, I hope you're right because I'm I'm just itching to get back into an arena. I was I was telling Craig like before we we welcomed you to the show. I'm I'm excited to go to Edmonton in the dead of winter, and I think that that kind of tells you enough about the state of hockey right now. Um, you know, I, I I kind of wonder. I look at the the approach here with with Carolina, and I look at their draft page. And, and this is a notion that I think when I talked to you last year for an article about Dominic Bach that you kind of pushed back against. Um, and, and we can maybe talk about that again here is it looks like there's been a real shift in the last few years to just extremely high upside bets, uh, rounds one through seven. And, and I know that some scouts get weary of the conversation about upside versus floor. There are others who see it as holding a symbiotic relationship between the two. Uh, you know, do you do you think that that's a fair observation on my part to some degree, or or even uh, others have made that observation as well? What do you think about that? The idea that you're starting to chase players who might have more risk associated with them, like a Ryan Suzuki, but perhaps a lower floor attached to them as well. Yeah, I guess there there's two parts to that. I I think risk with players is is pretty even in terms of where you're selecting them. Obviously the player drafted first overall compared to the player drafted um, 211th, uh, there's a big risk difference. Um, you would assume that the player drafting first overall has got a pretty good chance to make it versus the last player in the draft. Um, so if you're talking about the fourth round, whether or not you're, you're taking a player um, who may be perceived as higher risk because he has um, more talent or is lacking a certain attribute versus a safer player. There's probably a good chance um, that the risk is, is relative. So for us, again, we're, we're trying to evaluate the players who we feel have the highest chance to make the NHL to, to, to get the biggest impact. Um, and then I guess looking at it from just the draft picks, I think sometimes that can be a, can be a challenge um just given that you you may only have seven picks and your list is obviously going to be a lot larger than that so again we you may have a certain process that may not be able to to be seen just by the the picks because it's such a small representation of your actual larger work and and with that in mind i mean what are your thoughts on the progress of you know i used him as an example of Orion Suzuki. I mean, uh, you know, he got traded in the middle of last year. He's showing really well with Team Canada in the red-white scrimmages. I think there was a story, too, by Scott Wheeler about um, losing visibility in one eye. What, what a compelling uh, story as a hockey player. What have you guys seen from him since he joined your organization, 28th overall in 2019? Yeah, I, I think, um, I know you touched on the injury. Like, if if we were to say that a player um, tore his ACL and it takes him a while to to get up to to full speed, you'd almost give him a a year grace period to say, okay, he's he's been off for so long, um, he's got to rebuild the the muscle in his leg, and then finally maybe now he'll he'll get back up to full speed. I think with the the eye injury, it, it despite Ryan saying everything that he he's great and the doctors are all everyone is giving such a okay that he sees just like he like he could it's still going to take time for him to to get used to to playing and then now i think this is the ryan like as as craig's alluded to in watching him in the camp this is the ryan that that we're proud to to have in our organization when he's on his game he's playing with pace he's able to make plays that others can't see and that's the the type of center that every team sort of covets so we understood that it it may have been a little bit of a bumpy road after the injury but again he's he's taken the advice of our our coaches he's learned from being uh in our bubble training camp and again he's he's progressing nicely and we hope that he can can continue his development uh, making the world junior team yeah i think you make a great point darren is is that when players get injured you know they they heal and then they think they're automatically going to be right back to where they were before they got injured regardless of the injury but but there is there is a a, a kind of a ramping up once you are healthy back to playing and that sometimes can be frustrating for the player but uh, the understanding of that becomes critical in helping that player continue to move forward. Yeah, it, it just takes time. I think, yeah. you know, as, as society right now, we, we want everything right away. 
we, we pull up our phone and we can get, we can get food, we can get clothes, we can get everything and it's instant. And I think the same is with, with prospects. We want, you draft a player in the first round and you want them in the NHL tomorrow. And we know that there's some ebbs and flows in, in terms of development. Yeah, that's, that is a fair point. Uh, and, and certainly patience is not a something that is in, in abundance these days. Uh, but you know what, and I hope you'll pardon me this, this clunkiest of segues, somebody who's got a ton of patience as a player. Uh, he quickly became a favorite of mine once I saw him at the World Junior A Challenge in, in Dawson Creek. Uh, Vasily Ponomaryov, and and it was really easy to to become a fan of his because such an engaging personality as well. Like we had a ton of fun interviewing him. Uh, really sharp kid, uh, great personality. Also a hell of a hockey player. Uh, can you maybe tell our audience a little bit about Ponomaryov and 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 what attracted the the Hurricanes to him at fifty third overall last October? Yeah, I think um, the the great thing about being able to to watch. Um, Vasily at, at different levels was to see how he handled different situations and different roles. I, I think if you go back again to his underage year um, in the MHL, he was pure offensive and you saw the the hockey sense, the playmaking, the elite skills, and then that transferred over to the to Helenka tournament when he was actually playing with our uh, seventh round draft pick and passion and he was setting him up for, for goal after goal. And then you watch him win in Schwinnigan and maybe he at the very beginning of the season, he was playing in a more of a, a defensive role, which again is it's great for, for us to see how he adapted to that situation. And again, you saw the, the hockey sense, you saw him being able to, to learn a new system and be able to shut down other, um, other great players. And in the second half of uh, the Q season, he gets a little bit more of an offensive role. The minutes go up and the offensive instincts are again, show through. So, you talk about a player that is, is really complete. And again, now with, with him getting a chance to, to take the next step and hopefully he can make the world junior team and at a bigger, at a sort of a faster and bigger um, tournament, be able to, to learn from that and continue his development. So it seems like you would uh, agree then with, with our assessment, which is that there's, there's much more offensive talent in Vasily Ponomaryov's game than perhaps people give credit. And I think that you raised a really excellent point about the roles and the way that he was uh, able to adapt, whether it was the Holenka or whether it was with Schwinnigan or at the World Junior A Challenge. I mean, uh, what sort of upside do you see uh, from Vasily Ponomaryov? Like, what, what do you think is the cre- the career trajectory for this sort of player, because I think some people just might take for granted how talented he really is. Yeah. I I think again, um, the, the plays that he's able to, to make aren't the plays that you would say is someone that doesn't have offensive upside. He, he processes the game at such a high level. He's able to, to make the one touch passes that you can't make if you don't look first and you don't process it and then move it. Um, so I don't, I don't really want to put sort of a, a label in terms of what his ceiling is, is going to be because of that hockey sense. I think as, as we watch these players sort of take on and graduate at the next level, whether it's, um, from the MHL to the Halenka to the Q to hopefully the world juniors, the hockey sense is, is a key for all these kids because at every increase at the next level increases the pace and being able to process the game is only going to allow it to slow down for him. You know, in in our world of instant gratification that you talked about earlier, uh, Darren, you know, we, we we want players to be somewhere yesterday and, and we want them to, and then we want to say that where they're at today is ultimately where they're going to be at in the future. And, you know, you, you, the, the steps that players need to take are so incredibly important as they experience and gain the understanding of what it's going to take as they go up to the next level. So at, as you, when you're scouting and we talk about hockey sense and we talk about what translates, right? You know, how important is it for you as a group? And I talk about you as a group and you leading the group to try to really understand, okay, here's where player a is that today okay here's what he's shown us and then how do you direct that back to the player so he gets the critical feedback about what's good about what he continues to need to be aware of and and work on yeah it, it's it's obviously the 
this is the hardest part of the job is trying to identify where where the player sort of was um, as an underager, where he is um, as a draft eligible, and then as as you work through. And I think for us as a staff, we we put a lot of emphasis on on hockey sense. Um, I, I think knowing that a player and being able to process the game and being able to to think at a high level should help as as you sort of go through um, and graduate. So it's, it's about trying to be honest um, as a staff about where the player was, where he is and being able to, to measure um, the tangible improvement to, to make a, a projection on where we feel he could get to if he improved X, Y, or, or Z. Well, Darren, I wanted to to thank you so much for your time here. We've had uh, such a good time interviewing you. We really appreciate your answers. And and we really hope that we're going to be able to see you again at some point in the not so distant future at a hockey rink here. That wouldn't that be nice, Craig? You know, getting to actually scout and 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 have that stale arena coffee. And oh yeah, I guess you get to do that right now. No bitterness on my part, though, Craig. No jealousy. No, 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 no. no. There was no concessions. <laughs> open. There was no concessions open. No, not even coffee. No, there was no coffee. There was no coffee. There was no water. There was there was no amenities in the arena. We were in there observing from a distance. Uh, and, you know, uh, even when you watch the coaches on the ice with their masks and whatnot, and you know what? I don't like stale coffee at the best of times. So, you know, uh, what's what is we all want to be able to do is, is just uh, enjoy the, the, the excitement of being in the rink mm-hmm. and the excitement that you get. And Darren knows this, this is that you draft a player and when you see him play well, you're excited about it. And, you know, fans get excited about seeing their players do well. And, you know, we look forward to the world junior tournament where the Carolina hurricanes uh, have the potential to have a lot of players playing for different countries in this tournament. Yeah, so we'll have to have Darren on again sometime after the tournament, hopefully to talk about a, an exceptional performance from somebody like a Seth Jarvis or a Ponomaryov or maybe even Jameson Reese. For now, I have been J.D. Burke. My co-host has been Craig Button. And our guest has been Darren York. You've been listening to the Elite Prospects podcast. Thanks so much for your time. Cheers. Hey, this is Rob from the Elite Prospects Podcast. I'm the producer. Uh, if you guys are a product or brand or a company that would like to sponsor the Elite Prospects Podcast, let me know uh, via email at robert.love at eliteprospects.com or just message us on any of our social media platforms. We'll get back to you and we can talk about uh, the next steps. Thanks.